Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. It's time for True American Heroes for the Record with Jack Rutland. Another exclusive on Super Talk Mississippi 102.1 FM. Many of our heroes have taken their stories with them to the grave. But this show is about the stories and personal experiences of these veterans. Today we're honored to have with us Mr. Cecil Rhodes, a longtime part of our community here in Brookhaven, Lincoln County, and uh, he's been very gracious to come in and share with us some of his experiences uh, back in the 40s and the youth of his life. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Cecil, I want to th- say thank you for uh, your willingness to come in and share some of these stories, and we're going to get right to it. So back prior to the start of World War II, uh, were you still in school when Pearl Harbor was bombed, or were you out of school and already working? No, uh, when the war broke out, I was teaching school. Really? Twenty. Uh, when the well, I had three years in college. War was coming on. My father was out of money, so uh, the uh, one of the neighbors was principal of a four-room school and. Between Neshoba and Winston County, and I got a job there making $56 a month. Good for you. And uh, I was there when uh, the war broke up, when Pearl Harbor went with bombing wars. And the the bombing was Sunday, Monday, we found out the boys bombing. That's how far back in Neshoba County I was. So now, all right, you, did you enlist, or did you, were you drafted, no. or what happened? I was drafted, uh, registered in February of 42, was drafted in September of 42. No, I, I just waited till they needed me. Now, you, you were just mentioning the bombing of Pearl Harbor when the attack uh, took place. Do you remember where you were, and, and, and do you remember the effect that it might have had on you, or what your emotions were at that point? Well, I remember where, you know, what had happened, but I don't know, it, it, I do not recall any uh, unusual effect because a great deal had been said about the war, we were preparing for it, and uh, I, I do not recall any being upset or emotional or any, any unusual mm-hmm. thing about that, and I don't recall that though. Okay, so you ended up in the Army then? Yes, uh-huh. And tell me a little bit about your training, and I, and, uh, I know you ended up in the Army Air Corps. Yeah. So give me a little bit of a background on that. Uh, as I said, I was drafted in September 42, Camp Shelby, uh, troop trained to Camp Crowder, Missouri, Signal Corps Camp, got my basic training there. Uh, Camp Crowder is near Branson, and now you can be there in 10 hours. It took us two days on a troop train to get there. <laughs> uh, and, and the railroad came within a half a mile of my house where I lived. We uh, troop trains on that. And spent uh, 
three months at Camp Crowder, uh, January of four to three after the uh, training. And, and Camp Crowder, we did not, it was not an infantry uh, training, but we had a lot of hiking and uh, army regulations and had a little gas chamber we had to go. We, we had a lot of the uh, training that the entrance would get, not all of it, but a lot of it. And uh, then in uh, uh, January of 43, we were shipped to the West Coast and assigned to the uh, 328th Fighter Group. So you went to the West Coast? Yes. Uh-huh. Well, tell us what happened at that point. When were you shipped overseas? Uh, well, we stayed. The first base that was on, in, uh, on the West Coast was at Hammerfield at Fresno. From there, was uh, transferred to Hamilton Field, which is uh, near San Rafael, maybe like 10 or 12 miles north of San Francisco. And we stayed there... Uh, oh, eight or ten months, was transferred up to Santa Rosa, and was still in the 328 there. And then uh, th- this was a replacement outfit. They had people coming and going all the time. And uh, then in December, I believe, of 43, orders came through that they needed uh, three people. One was in my classification. We were transferred to Glendale, from Glendale to a little airstrip of Lameda, from there to Santa Maria, and from Santa Maria. All of this was preparation to go overseas. And then from Santa Maria, we uh, put on uh, shipped out to Camp Kilmer, from out of Camp Kilmer, New Jersey. Troop train. Took us about four days, I think, from the West Coast to get there. Right, so they sent you to the West Coast, then they decided they wanted you on the East Coast. So you had to go over there, then come back, and it sounds like the Army. That's just typical. (laughs) typical. So you caught a a ship on the East Coast headed for? England. We landed in Scotland. Uh, We, uh, the first, I, I do not recall the exact date, it was either... The 1st or 2nd of May in 44, that we uh, uh, aborted a troop ship uh, in the harbor of New York, sailed that night, and it took us about 12, 13 days to get to, We landed in Scotland, mm. and then from there, uh, we just went down to the base near Ipswich, England. It was an old RAF base. Uh, RAF meaning Royal Air Force. Uh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, and uh, we stayed there about a year and a half. We did not leave. We didn't cross the channel. We stayed uh, uh, there. It was in a fighter outfit. So you were part of a, of a, of a group that was assigned to this old RAF base. Yes. Uh-huh. And, your, and your aircraft were what type? Uh, the pilots flew P-51s. When we got there, they uh, flew 38s. Well, let me back up a little bit. When it was on the West Coast, they trained in P-39s as uh, Bell Aircraft, tricycle landing gear. But uh, I, I don't think they used that plane in the, uh, Europe at all. But then they, uh, when we got to England, the uh, pilots were flying 38s. But that, that plane didn't pan out too good. I, I don't know. It just wasn't good. They, then they assigned the pilots p 51s and they those fellows like that uh now the p51 for those who may not know and and you can make and share a little bit about this 
about the P-51 with us. It, it made a tremendous difference to the B-17s and the B-24 pilots because of their ability to do long-range uh, support, escort. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the P-51 and the guys in your, uh, your unit. Yeah, well, I didn't. I knew them as pilots. I did not know any of them personally. The one that the uh, their crew chief, he was the man that they depended upon to make sure that plane would fly. They didn't have a miss in it or anything. Now they got to be real close. Mm -hmm. the, the crew chief and and I, I didn't work on the line I was not a mechanic I worked in the order room um, I was uh, what they call a statistician I kept with the records but the uh, they liked the P-51 they could maneuver it much better uh, the guns two bombs on one on either wing and uh, you know at one time the Fighter planes do not have the fuel to escort the bombers all the way to the target, especially when they were going deep uh, with the oil refineries, the uh, ball bearing ammunition plants. Mm -hmm. And but after later on, uh, the 47s and the 51s, they were able to escort them over the target. Of course, they didn't leave uh, the. Uh, Fight, uh, the bombers were probably in there two hours before the fighters left the ground because it didn't take them as long to get there. And we were told that uh, when they got to the target, if there was flak, the fighters would leave because they knew the Germans weren't going to send up planes if there was flak artillery. And the fighters then would go ahead and... Uh, Look for railroads, bridges, roads, and they did drop their bombs out. But if it was not flak, they would stay with them to drop their bombs, get them back close to the channel, then they would do their bombing or strafing, whatever that they planned to. Now, what I'm telling you is what I heard because I was not actively involved in that, you know. Uh, uh, That's interesting. That's the, interesting. They, uh, you, you, you did what the army assigned you to, and uh, <laughs> uh, of course they so get on me about it. But uh, I told them, I said, Bill Clinton didn't start this. Don't ask, don't tell, because I didn't ask them why they sent me to the Air Force, and <laughs> I didn't tell them I wasn't going. <laughs> well, this this is really interesting. Where we have with us today, Mr. Cecil Rhodes. Uh, a veteran of World War II uh, who's been gracious enough to come in and share some of his experiences. Uh, tell me, Mr. Cecil, uh, you know, I'm sure it was an experience for an old country boy from Mississippi to end up over in England. Um, I guess I guess you just had to adapt. You, it was, you were given a job and you just yeah. did your job. Just like you said, you weren't asking what you could, you know, you didn't volunteer. You probably were said, here's what you're going to do. Um, what was it like being a boy from Mississippi all of a sudden on the other side of the world in a land you probably not thought you'd never see? No, because I'd never been out of the front yard before I left the road. <laughs> uh, There's one thing that uh, I appreciate the American flag. We arrived at the base at night. The next morning at group, headquarters, I saw old glory. That flag meant more to me that day than it has ever meant. Uh, it's just, it just said something that wow. I cannot put in words. But as I said, uh, as I told you, it was mostly a statistician. But I had various jobs. One interesting thing, uh, uh, you know, I taught school one year for one up there. The special service officer, 
had gathered a group that, uh, well, they were drafted. They did not have uh, uh, a lot of education, so he was going to school them. He, he had 22 in the class. Uh, he found out that I would taught. He was going on leave, so he wanted me to come up and teach his class while he was gone. He had 22 when he left. When he got back, he had seven. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't graduate. They just didn't go to school. They didn't want to come out to class. <laughs> well, we're back. Uh, today we have Mr. Cecil Rhodes, a longtime uh, part of the community here in Lincoln County in Brookhaven, sharing his experiences with us as we as we talk about uh, our honoring our veterans and the Military Memorial Museum celebration we're going to be having here in a little while. But, uh, Mr. Cecil, you were talking about, uh, you taught school for a year, uh, and you were talking about how much you made. Can you go back to that and compare that to the military a little bit, uh, if your pay went up or down? <laughs> well, uh, school teaching at that time, uh, $56 a month. The lady I was boarding with charged me $12 a month for board. <laughs> she had an old cow. She told me if I'd milk that cow, she'd knock off a dollar a month. So I paid her $11 <laughs> for board. <laughs> that included meals? Oh, yeah. Wow, and, that's a deal. I guess laundry. I, I'm not sure. Uh, we didn't know what laundry was. You washed in the tub. We didn't have uh, dryers and uh, uh, all that thing. Well, what about in the military? What about your pay scale during uh, your time overseas? Uh, well, we start off as a private of $50 a month, as I at Camp Crowder, Missouri, uh, as a book private. And, and one thing I didn't mention, but uh, uh, on the first inspection we had, the, I think they tried to make an example out of the rookies there. You, your clothes had to be in exact order. The uh, ODs, the raincoat, the fatigues, the khakis, everything in order. And when the inspecting officer came in, one button or one sleeve wasn't buttoned. He said, go to the order room. And the order room was full of people that had been sent down there. They just <laughs> make an example out of us. And good old me, it was crowded. I backed up there and put one foot on the wall. That's the cardinal sin. The first sergeant looked over. He said, you report for KP in the morning. <laughs> That's the first experience I had with KP. That 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 goes back to impose. Interesting. Then, yeah. Really interesting. But that, that didn't connect with the uh, school teaching. But uh, uh, I got a, I took a five six dollar a month uh, cut from my left teaching to school teaching because I was getting fifty six dollars. But the army fed me, clothed me. Medicine, all oh, that. So I, I really got a raise in going. You did. To, you did all right. Yeah, yeah. Now you were you were overseas until the war ended. Is that yeah, correct? Yes. We uh, we got there about three weeks before the invasion. Uh, we left New York somewhere around the first of May, forty four. Uh, took us about twelve, thirteen days to get there. Landed in Scotland, as I said, and. Somewhere around the middle of May, we were there, and the invasion was 6th of June. Right. And uh, as I said, I worked in the orderly room, basically. It was mail clerk one time, school teacher one time, <laughs> help digger an emplacement for an aircraft gun, which was never put in there. 
but the the invasion, you know, they started drop uh, land those fellas at midnight, and we did not know until noon that day, and we were oh maybe like 130 40 miles from Normandy, and we did not know the invasion was on until noon. We knew there was an unusual number of planes in the sky that morning. Of course, that wasn't unusual. I mean, the sky, the sky, the sky was full of planes. But about noon, somebody came through the old room and said the invasion's on. Now that, that's, I guess, how secret it was. Of course, the world knew it. Another thing that was rather interesting, uh, when we got there, even though it was in England, I could not tell my folks I could put ETO, uh, European. Then, uh, and the ETO meant European Theater of Operations. That's right. Then we had not been there very long until the uh, Boys and Communications had a little shortwave radio. And at night, we'd go down and listen to uh, Axis Sally, uh, propaganda leader. And we hadn't been there three weeks. So she said, welcome to England, 479th Fighter Group. I couldn't tell my folks where we were. Uh, but she welcomed <laughs> us. And she had a lot of things that she, that she said. Uh, that old gal, was she, was she was something else. I think a graduate of Princeton University. I believe she's an American citizen. My goodness. But uh, we, goodness. we'd night we'd listen to we'd listen to that. And uh, so you were talking about your statistics, your 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 job in the orderly room. Uh, what kind of statistics did you keep well, up with? Uh, every soldier had what they call a two hundred one file. If he was promoted, if he received an honor of some type. Uh, or uh, if uh, group headquarters, somebody called down and said, how many people you have in a category? Uh, we didn't have computers. And I had a little arrow I could point through the uh, file cabinet. They had them notched, and they'd drop out. Like they wanted to know how many mechanics we had. Then I could tell them how many mechanics we had, uh, how many communications, armament, uh, transportation, Whatever it is, I'd keep up. Then, if he got a promotion, I'd make a record of that, or if his own detached service, or whatever happened to him, uh, it was just a, kind of a personal record that. Uh, so you you on. were you were keeping records, literally. Yeah, and they talked about okay. what an easy job I had. Right now, they'd appreciate some of that if they went back, you know, to see what they had. Well. Things like that, you know, you recorded. Now, I'm looking at your, your your baseball cap that you wore into the studio this morning, and I see on there that there's a ribbon. And what kind of ribbon is that, Mr. Cecil? That's a good conduct ribbon. I was a good soldier. Now, wait a minute. Whose ribbon is that? Is that actually yours, Mr. Cecil? <laughs> it, it, it took me three years to get it. <laughs> Well, now let me ask you this: you do you rough do you know how long you were actually in Europe before the war ended? Uh. Yeah, well, we, our outfit stayed. We were there a year and a half. When the war was over in May the 8th in Germany, our outfit was supposed to go into the Pacific. They mm. packed up, crated up everything we had, shipped that out. We were just sitting there waiting. I had never played cribbage in my life, but I learned to play cribbage, whatever that little <laughs> card game is. You know, you put pegs <laughs> right, on them. Right, But we didn't have a thing to do. We were just there. Uh, well, uh, we did a little more of that. Uh, the ones that wanted to go over Germany, they would fly you over there for one day. Really? And uh, we had, had to do some hiking and something. But basically, we were just waiting. We did not know that they were dealing with dropping the atomic bomb. That's what kept us from going to the Pacific. Uh, 
then, uh, so as far as you guys knew, you had a whole lot more war ahead of you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, when the, uh, uh, eventually, uh, they, 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 my mother passed away while I was over there, and uh, the Red Cross had trouble getting to me because they kept telling Red Cross, you're on your way home, and we, we, we're supposed to be. But you know how the Army operates. They just wait, wait, wait. So they, they finally transferred me out of the 434th Fighter Squadron up to a base somewhere in England going to fly me home. Got up there. They said, no, the weather's closing. We're not flying anybody. So then uh, they sent me to Southampton, England, and on our jacket they had a little emblem of two Mustangs, that fighter plane, that was a Mustang. And when I walked to uh, that, uh, whoever was there said, oh, your outfit's already here. Uh, and I did not know that my, my outfit uh, was on this uh, aircraft area. When I walked on, they had some bad language to me. thought I was already home, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Cecil, this is pretty cr- incredible hearing you share your experiences like this. You know, and I, I can only think what it must have been like for you to see your country suddenly be caught up in this massive world war and, uh, and to be a part of that and, and to do things that you never anticipated, go places you never thought you'd go. Uh, it had to have had an impact on your life to spend two or three years of your life serving your country. And I know that's a ridiculous question, but uh, if you had it to do all over again, would you do it again? I sure would. It was an honor for me to serve my country. One thing that uh, uh, maturity, I had three years in college. Uh, uh, I would have been better off to have waited till I got back to go to school. I realized more the value of studying. Uh, it, it just... That last year in Mississippi College uh, was more meaningful. Uh, before then, I thought, well, all you got to do is get a degree. But then there's more to it than just getting a degree. And it matured me uh, a great deal. But, but uh, it was an honor for me. I, I, w- I don't know, I would have been hurt if they had turned me down. As I said, all of my uh, buddies, by July 4 2, they were gone. People said, you 4F, you draft dodger? I got tired of that because the, uh, uh, my first notice from the draft board, I was an alternate. I went up there and I said, look, y'all going to change that. I'm going. I'm tired of this 4F and draft dodger business that they was putting on me, you know. But, but no, it was an honor. Uh, I had three brothers. We all served. One went to the uh, field artillery, I was in the Air Force, one armored division, the youngest was in the infantry, and he was killed in France. But uh, I, I, but look, uh, you don't hear a thing about the people that stayed here. People that stayed here sacrificed. Sure. It, it, it right. was a sacrifice. I mean, they, a lot of things they couldn't, couldn't get. So this thing was a two-way deal. Though we were away from home a lot, but there was a sacrifice. A lot of sacrifices for a lot of people. People stayed, yeah, sure. Well, you just shared something that I've and I've known you a long time, Mr. Cecil, and uh, we've been good friends. But I've never heard you mention the fact that you lost a brother in the war. Now you lost a brother, and he was in the infantry, and it happened in France. Incredible, 
Incredible, my friend. Well, we have been honored today to have uh, Mr. Cecil Rhodes, a longtime uh, member of this community and a good friend of mine. And uh, it's been an honor for us to have you uh, come in and share your, these experiences of your service to your country in World War II. And, you know, I always enjoy seeing the, uh, the vets around Brookhaven. And uh, Mr. Cecil is one of those that considers it's an honor to wear a baseball cap that says either Greatest Generation or World War II vet. And, uh, and, uh, and I always uh, am honored to, to see you and be able to shake your hand and say thank you for your service. And again, on behalf of uh, this community and our country, Thank you, Mr. Cecil, for your service uh, at a time when we really needed all of our finest young men. Appreciate the opportunity of coming. Uh, you asked me a question about my brother. He was 20 years old the second day of August, was killed the second day of September. He lived one month in his 20th year. Incredible. Ultimate sacrifice. Thank you so much again, my good friend. Thank you. What was it like being a boy from Mississippi all of a sudden on the other side of the world in a land you probably not thought you'd never see? Uh, the, the one thing that uh, I appreciate the American flag. We arrived at the base at night. The next morning at group headquarters, I saw Old Glory. That flag meant more to me that day than it has ever meant. Uh, it's just It just said something that I cannot put in words. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.